Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Welcome again. This installment is going to be very important for all of the job seekers and hiring managers, frankly. And I couldn't wait to have this topic be one we discuss. And my expert today, her name is Paula Aleska, and she is admired internationally, not only as a master teacher, but definitely as a pioneer in mind-body techniques. And our topic today is how to instantly calm your nerves before an interview, and really how do you use that to transition into being calm and confident and, and putting forth your best self during that interview. It's not an easy process. She's going to share some actual techniques with us. I can't wait to uh, tried them myself. She already noticed yoga dog in the back. So clearly we're ready to go on this. For those of you who haven't understood what that is yet, I call him yoga dog. But first of all, Paula, thank you so much for joining me in this uh, Job Seeker Summit. It's really a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Michael. It's a true pleasure for me as well. I totally appreciate the opportunity to be on your summit and to share with you uh, from our previous conversation. You're a wonderful host and hostess, and I look forward to sharing some insights with your audience. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, I have found that doing these interviews, whether they're for my podcast and now these ones uh, on video, have just been so much fun, but so great to talk to so many people with great knowledge and experiences and expertise that really make me feel richer and shock my own potential farther and faster. So why don't you just uh, give an introduction to yourself? I can list all your, uh, all the many things about you, including your three books and online courses, and uh, we'll get to all your contact information near the end, but tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what makes you an expert in this field of learning how to control our mind-body balance, as it were. Uh, thanks for asking, Michael. So I'll make it short. Uh, so I'm a, uh, without listing all the details, I'm a best-selling author, an award-winning brain coach, and a mindset maverick. And uh, job seekers and other professionals hire me to unleash their true careers because most are too intimidated to go for what they really want. They are scattered and not assertive enough. So I help them organize, prioritize, focus, and become the star of their own show so they can get the satisfaction from the job that they want. And uh, I've been, I'll tell you some stories about that as we go along, but uh, 
I just wanted to say what makes me expert in that is that I've been using mind-body organizing techniques for over 25 years. Uh, me and my colleagues were pioneers of that, and this field is still completely unknown, or at least very little known, especially in the world of business, because uh, the prevailing attitude is that you have to use your mind for everything. And you have to use your mind to get calmer, and you have to use your mind to get prepared, and you have to use your mind to get results. And I think that most people know that that only works partially. Whenever I asked my clients or students, how has that worked for you? They usually say like, well, it works sometimes. So uh, it was a really good answer until there was a better answer. And the better answer is to engage your body in very appropriate ways, in very specific ways. And the funny thing is that uh, most people already have an experience of that because many people say that they can concentrate better or they think better or they solve a problem after they have uh, gone for a walk or go for a run or work out at the gym. So they have experiences that physical activity clears the mind or allows the mind to solve problems better. They just didn't put the two and two together because the prevailing mode is that, well, it's good for that, but you still need to use your mind to, to do the rest of the stuff. That's a great point on so many levels. And I was thinking about how much mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness is coming into business, it's coming into kindergartens, it's coming into the military. I think that's really raising people's awareness. But the whole concept of really trying to find the way the body works in this as well, um, and how you can capitalize on that. So, you know, let's talk about it. What are some ways that our job seekers can harness this power and find a way to calm themselves? All right, so in a moment, I'm going to uh, share a very, very simple exercise that always helps people calm down. And I want to set it up uh, because uh, why, why would people need to calm down? Well, I think that uh, everybody has the experience that when they are nervous in any way, uh, something happens to the mind, like we forget things, we don't say the right thing, um, we get scattered, it's just uh, not, you're not functioning with your full potential. I call, it, I call this brain brownouts. So uh, we know that in a city, if there is too much demand for energy, certain areas are going to get less energy and the lights will go dim and you won't be able to use all of your appliances. Uh, so something like that happens to the brain. Uh, under stress, different parts of the brain shut down and then you are not functioning with all of your skills and abilities and experience and potential that you have in other situations. This is a temporary state. So once the stress goes away, that potential gets restored. Just like, you know, when the uh, power increases or demand decreases, that we all get full supply of uh, electricity. But um, the, uh, one of the difficulties for people is that uh, stress is also approached like it's a mental thing. You have to use your mind to calm yourself down. Well, I think most people know that that's really difficult to do. And Absolutely, especially when you're in the moment of crisis. Right. And, and essentially the best that uh, stress reduction experts say, like you have to breathe deeply and count to 10, which may help you for a few seconds, but it doesn't really solve the problem. 
the reason why that is, is because it has been very well documented that stress is a physical phenomenon. Stress happens on a body level, it changes your blood pressure, it changes your heart rhythm, it changes all kinds of uh, supply of energy to different organs uh, and uh, whether it goes towards your face or towards your legs and all kinds of other things like that. So it's a physical phenomenon. You cannot solve a physical problem with a mental approach. Just like nobody would try to solve their problem of having even a small cut on their finger by talking to themselves and <laughs> like, I really want this to heal, heal. Why aren't you healed already? Calm down. You know, we just don't do that. It would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? I love it. I can see myself too. I think I might've said that some things. I didn't just cut my finger with that knife. I didn't. Stop bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, the body doesn't listen to that. So uh, the best way to, uh, so there are several different things that people can do, but uh, we only have time for one. So I'm going to show a very simple exercise. It's called self-hug. And it looks like this. You stretch your arms forward like that. You turn your thumbs down, you cross your wrists, and you interlace your fingers. And then you bend your elbows and rest them on your chest like that. And then you also cross your ankles, which I can't demonstrate, but I think everybody will know how to do that. I had to, I had to make sure I wasn't crossing my legs. Okay, now my ankles are crossed. Right. And you can just lean back and you will also gently rest the tongue behind your teeth on the upper palate and close your eyes. And then what I would encourage job seekers to do is to allow themselves to embrace their anxiety. So again, this goes against the prevailing mode that you have to make yourself positive. I found that it's really difficult to put that on top of the existing anxiety. So we need to explore that and what I call vent that first. So, uh, so let's say if I'm a job seeker, I will do that and uh, out loud, in which case I will not be touching the tongue uh, to the roof of my mouth, or in quietly, I'm just going to go through whatever goes through my mind. Oh my God, I'm so anxious. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't think my resume is good enough. And you just allow yourself to go through whatever is going through your mind, including the worst case scenarios, which uh, coaches and other experts will say like, don't go there. It doesn't matter. That will never happen. But it doesn't matter because if it's in your mind, you might as well acknowledge that it's there. <laughs> so it's like, I'll never get another job. I have failed at so many interviews and just goes on and on and on. So uh, that will go on probably spontaneously for maybe three or four minutes. And it kind of will run its course. And then you just sit there for another five minutes or so and you will become much calmer. And then you uncross your feet, you uncross your hands, you touch your fingertips together and you can rest them in your lap. And you take another minute or so uh, to sit in this new position with the tongue uh, behind the teeth and eyes closed just for you know, reducing distractions. And that exercise works for almost everybody. So when I teach that, uh, people say like, yeah, I feel much calmer. The stress is reduced from seven to three on a scale from one to 10, uh, or uh, I don't feel that urgency of the problem anymore. 
so things like that. So I highly encourage people to use that. It's a very simple thing, and I personally use it, you know, uh, whenever I get uh, stressed, upset, or anxious. There's so many great points to that, and I, I want to even just highlight how great the analogy is about the brownout because. That makes so much sense. The fact that sometimes you just get overloaded, but not overloaded so much that you're going to pass out from it. Just enough that you can't function optimally. And so right. that, that awareness of when you've reached that point when it's too much. And I can see that the, the physical turning of the hand, it, it makes your, your arms, it makes your body relax in places that it doesn't normally. And, and this concept too, there's a sense of power in this. You know, as you, as you hold your hands, you, you have your fingertips, it's, it's a delicate move, but it's a powerful position that can help you. I, I would see it being able to help you refocus and feel like you're gaining control again. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you, you said that. I think many people do that spontaneously anyway. And this is one of the things to do that's good to do with your hands if you don't know what to do with your hands while you are talking to people, especially people, you know, who you consider to be in power. So this uh, is a very calming effect and just uh, doing that and then, you know, gesturing and coming back to that, it's, uh, it's also going to be a useful thing for people to use when they are stressed and they have to have a conversation. I was thinking about two different things, two different points too. One thing I used to teach, I used to teach a class on public speaking and people who get nervous when they speak often don't know what to do with their hands. So they're either crazy like this or they're in their pockets or they're jangling change. But I used to teach people to, I never thought of this until you were talking about how poignant this is, but to grasp, you know, into this pressure point here. And that way you can have kind of a, it's not necessarily the most natural position, but if you hold your hands down like that, it keeps them together, keeps them from flailing, but you can massage that pressure point, which is also going to release stress. And I, I found it, I've not been, I've not ever had too much difficulty in public speaking, but sometimes you can be tense for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's running late, maybe the crowd's a little different, maybe you're not as certain of your message, and those kind of things have always helped me. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you already had your own technique. So I'll remind, remind myself to do that when I'm public speaking in the future. If I forget what to do with my hands, but I, I agree with you. Like people really don't know what to do. Uh, so it's like, uh, some of my coaches call it dinosaur hands. Like you, <laughs> or you are like all over the place. Uh, so there is a middle ground, which is keep them, uh, above the waist, but not above your head. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that you said too that I really that struck me is you're talking about going ahead and letting some of those bad worst case scenarios go through your head. I've always been a proponent of that because my theory is that if you can don't imagine all the crazy things that could happen, like, oh, there might be an earthquake and the ground is gonna fall out for me or something, you know. But realistic fears, if you address them and you think of them, okay, what's the worst thing they can ask me? Maybe it's about a gap in my in my tenure at a position. Maybe it's about the fact that maybe the last position I was let go, or maybe I switched jobs too frequently, whatever, whatever that might be in your head. If you think about what might the scenario be, then you can plan how you'll respond to it. Exactly. So you're not preparing for the worst 
as if it's doomsday, you're preparing for all the realistic possible downfalls so that your brain has a place to go if that happens, and some of them will. So it's better to be prepared for them just than just say, oh, that will never happen. Because when it does, then you're deer in headlights. Absolutely. And uh, I also want to add that this process needs to happen way before any kind of interview because you want to really, this requires a lot of thinking and under stress thinking is the first thing that gets switched off. Uh, so the job seeker or, or potential interviewee needs to have time uh, way before, like weeks before the interview to know how to address those questions, whatever they are afraid of, uh, and talk to a specialist, a coach, or a resume expert, or whoever, to help you uh, get the handle on those questions, because then you'll be a nervous wreck if you go to an interview and you haven't figured out what to say about that. So it's a, a very important thing. I'm so glad you brought it up, but I just want to say that people need to do that way before they actually go to an interview. I agree, without a doubt, and that's that's been kind of the common theme with all these speakers that I've had on these panels, is practice, practice, practice. You can't overemphasize it enough, and it doesn't mean that practice makes you rote or you're going to sound like a robot, but practice means you're really trying to think about what you're saying and you're crafting the words. Last night, I had a great opportunity. I, w I was invited to speak in front of a undergrad class at a business school here in Philadelphia. And they wanted to know about my, my background and my career history and my business, what I'm doing now. And they were asking all kinds of fantastic questions. They were amazing. And somebody was you know, asking this question, like, what's the most important thing, you, piece of advice you can give for us as job seekers? Because, you know, we're going to graduate, you know, after this year. I said, practice, practice. You've all been a student. You've probably all had a part-time job. You're thinking about different things. Those things you do every day. No one interviews for jobs every single day. So how can you expect yourself just to be able to go in and wing it when that's not where your skill set has been? Practice means that you've taken time, you've prepared, you've thought through it, but that you've really listened to yourself so that you're confident that you sound confident and that you sound like somebody that that employer wants to hire. Absolutely. Great advice. I want to add something to that uh, because I recently listened to a, I guess a famous actor. I don't follow TV, so I don't recognize a lot of actors. He was giving a speech to graduating class of uh, some college and uh, he was talking about how he didn't want couldn't go for his dream so he settled for a, a different job for a long time so uh, one of the things that I uh, work with with my clients and students is to go for your passion you really it's very important to go for your passion or at least not to settle for anything that you really don't want to do um, I have one of my current uh, clients is a woman who is trained as a lawyer, uh, but she has not worked as a lawyer because she got discouraged with her first legal job and decided that for some reason that wasn't for her. So she's been working in real estate and not making nowhere near as much money as she needs to be working as a lawyer. And now she has these doubts about, uh, I, have, I don't have enough current experience. And you know, so we are working through that acknowledging all the negatives and doing some activities to help her move past that. So now she's ready to really go to uh, seek 
uh, a legal job, and not only a legal job, but we worked also for her to narrow down the specialty because there are so many different types of legal work. So she decided that she, uh, her passion or at least interest is in litigation and that she's going to look for jobs in that area. Uh, so it's really very important and I would want to encourage everybody to really tune into who you are, what you really want, and don't settle. There are many possibilities of doing things that maybe not your main passion, but at least something that is of interest to you, rather than just settling for something that's going to uh, pay the rent. And uh, I've, uh, I've been actually very good with that and never been concerned about paying rent. So I've, when I was younger, I was always like uh, in the last minute uh, to the last penny because I was pursuing my passions. And I, you know, so that was a little bit too much in that direction. And I eventually learned to balance that. But um, it's really important for people to really acknowledge what they truly want to do. And uh, when you seek a job, to really look at what will bring you the satisfaction so you're not you're looking forward to going to work and not just dreading it and that can change how a person approaches the interview process as well because if it's really what you're passionate about that passion is going to come through more strongly than your nervousness right absolutely so a couple other questions for you and one i think is is really on the same line is you know for people to present themselves confidently when they really are nervous and let's say they've been practicing this and they've been practicing this method and they're finding some calm in, in their brain and their mind and their body. But by the time they get in the interview and they practiced and everything, there's, there's always this, this question. And I've had people blow interviews with me when I'd interview them, when they came across either not confident enough or so overly confident that they were arrogant. And, and there's, a, there's a fine line between all of those. You know, any words of wisdom for helping people find that right balance between? Yes, fine line. I'm so glad you uh, brought it up and so glad you said that because uh, this is a, a, great, um, a great topic. So one of the things that uh, most people don't realize, which you know as a public speaker, is that 80% of communication is nonverbal. So people can practice the right words and the right answers. It all depends on how you're going to deliver them. So there, is, uh, there are a couple of things that are very simple to understand uh, that I learned from uh, doing improv, that, uh, which it's so true in life. There are high status postures and low status postures. So low status postures are kind of shifting your focus, uh, slouching a little bit, and also like touching your face or your hair, or like women have a tendency to do something <laughs> with their hair, including when I was younger, I did that all the time. Uh, and uh, that all right away communicates that you, you have a low status, you are uncertain. It may create camaraderie when you're around other people who have low status, but when you're interviewing, it's going to, no matter how confident you really are, it's going to present you as not confident. On the other hand, the high status behavior can, can come across as arrogant because this is being very upright, taking up space and having a very steady gaze. Yes, that's if true. You to, if you interview you, they will kick you out because 
you will come across as being challenging to them. So you no, will come across as a serial killer, and we don't want that. <laughs> so uh, I was just teaching a communication class, and uh, we did exploration with these postures with my students. And um, so it was really funny because they really got that, that uh, you can be whoever you are, but you change your posture and you come across a certain way. So then we said, um, so I gave them an assignment, how do you adjust your posture when you're talking to a friend? You know, are you going to be low status or high status? Well, you have to be somewhere in the, in the middle because you cannot be do dominating to your friends and you also don't want to be like, oh well, no matter what you say. So, um, so I think that the same thing, so what I would say to uh, job seekers, become aware of your body language, of your posture and observe, are you uh, using your hands too much? Are you touching your clothing or adjusting like fiddling with your clothing or your hair? Or are you too rigid? Are you like, this is what I'm saying. Uh, it's uh, nothing, you can also get feedback from friends or colleagues uh, who are kindly predisposed not to like cream you with, with their feedback, but- or or to lie to you and tell you things that they think you want to hear because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Yes, that's right. So neither of those approaches will work. But just also yourself, uh, become aware of your posture and how you come across. When I learned this, uh, I was like, oh my God, I always have low status because I my hands are too active. I always do something, you know, uh, but when you are, let's say, in an interview and you do this, that's a very good gesture because you communicate lower status, but you're not insecure or even, even that. Uh, so you can touch your face to communicate that you're not dominant, but in ways that are um, appropriate. So uh, I needed to learn that in situations where I'm author the authority, I have to really adopt much more high status posture and I, I learned how to do that and it works much better. <laughs> and it, that's true. That's a great point about thinking about even sometimes a move like this is really conveys, I'm thinking through that. I've heard you. I really want to give you a, a very thoughtful reaction. So sometimes the simple things, and I, I agree, I, what a great exercise. I never did that before, but it would be perfect to have somebody do a mock interview with you and give you feedback on how did you sit? How did you react? Because those are the pieces we don't often see. And people don't often want to tell us if we have something. I have a very good friend of mine. She's been in my life forever. I had her start listening to some of my podcasts because I wanted her to give me some feedback. And she gave me feedback that of one thing I did not realize I was saying. And now since she's pointed it out, I can't. <laughs> Every time I say it, I stop myself. I'm going crazy. But until she did that, it, it was something that I wasn't paying attention to. Now, as I've been watching these videos, I didn't realize that often when I'm thinking about something, I look up and to the side. <laughs> and that's part of my thing. So now as I'm watching each video to get ready to post it, I'm going, oh my gosh, we're looking up there. There's nothing. <laughs> so I'm trying very hard to maintain all eye contact this way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on that subject, it reminds me that uh, there's a, another piece of, um, because body language includes facial expression, so people also need to be aware of the facial expressions and how that comes across. Like um, one woman I was talking to uh, lately, 
she said when uh, she was teaching, people often told her she was angry. And she said, mm. I'm not angry. This is what I look like when I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've had so many doctors that I've known offer to give me free Botox. <laughs> Uh, so in addition to body language in general, also become aware of facial expressions and even practicing the mirror, as silly as, as it sounds, practicing the mirror about having a relaxed face and uh, not to like be Absolutely. like saturating smiles, but at least having a relaxed face and a, a little bit of a smile. Well, and that's, you know, to your point about the, the balance between your brain and your mind and your body, even people that you know, when they're really nervous and they get that kind of smile, your face is exhausted because if you're not normally doing that, that's going to cause some stress on you. It's going to take away some of your energy, which is going to take away from your focus in the interview. So it's right. that sense of, you know, how, what am I doing naturally and how do I, how do I control it so that I do look natural? I'm not just reacting in the moment. Right. And that takes time. So again, I suggest that people start doing that way before they started applying for jobs just to become to have a head start and not have to train themselves in the last minute because in the last minute the old behaviors always come back because you're automatic so it's better to have a lot of preparation time absolutely and before we get into our last questions because i know we're near the end here i just i had to share this I was on an airplane a few months ago and the gentleman next to me had a very nice beard actually. It was very well groomed. It looked very handsome on him. But during the whole time, he was, it was like he was picking at it. And I, at this point in time, I'm thinking, are there bugs in there? <laughs> He's itching it and pulling on it. And now I'm kind of leaning a little bit away. And I realized he has no idea. And for a two and a half hour flight, I don't think I saw his hands off that beard more than 10 full minutes. And I, I really wondered, it was one of those moments where you wonder, what does he do? What does he do for a living? <laughs> he was sitting in first class, so you know he's doing all right, but what are you doing and, and how do you do that? And I had this strong urge to say, pardon me, sir, but do you have bugs in your beard? <laughs> you know, when your mind plays tricks on you. But I, I thought, I'm glad I've never had anybody do that in an interview with me because that would be very uncomfortable from the interviewing standpoint. It would draw all my attention to that and say, what is wrong with this person? I, I can't tell whether they're going to focus on anything else other than whatever they've got going on. And to your point, whether it's hair, a beard, or, you know, constantly picking lint off of things, you know, that those, those little traits that we may have until we know and recognize them. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's very important to become aware of these different, we, we may not be aware of different tricks and, and tricks that we, we, we use. Uh, and uh, it's very important in those official situations to uh, really not to, not to do those distracting behaviors. Maybe sit on your hands then. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've... Just keep them like that. Exactly, right there. Okay, so I have two last questions for you that I ask everybody. And the first is a really a question of reflection because I, I love to have everybody have the chance to think back to a point in your younger life where the younger Paula, you could have gone back and told her anything. And what point in time in, in Paula's life would you go back to? And what would you tell her that would have shocked your potential farther or faster or kept you on the same path 
but something that you know that you wish you could go back and tell her now? Um, yeah, there are many things I would tell my younger self at different ages, but uh, there's a few things that come to mind that are relevant to, to what we are talking about. It's like, A, stop fidgeting. B, <laughs> take your time. Uh, because I used to speak very fast because I assumed that I didn't have time to talk, that I couldn't call people's attention. So I would tell her, slow down, take a breath, uh, don't rush, don't assume that people can't listen to you. Uh, if you have something to say, people will listen. So take your time, articulate, because people said I mumbled. So it was like, take your time to say what you need to say. Um, and uh, yes, I should be more confident and assertive, which I learned over the years. But when I was younger, that really was not a trait that I, I had. So um, this is also something that allows me to help my clients because I know where they come from because <laughs> I've been there. But yeah, these are the, some of the things I would say to my younger self. Very good. I, I falter. I have the same faults myself. I better at speaking not so fast as I was, but I'm still not great. And there's times when I'm in high gear and I go so fast and all I have to do is look out in the audience and say, they're not keeping up. <laughs> Let's slow down here for a moment. Let's just take a breather and then I can reset myself. So I continually struggle with that as well. So I want to make sure, before I ask you the last question, I want to make sure that we get your website correct and anything else. But your website is brainupgrade.biz, correct? Yes. Any other ways that you'd like to have people be able to find you? Yes, you can email me directly at that address. So it's paula at brainupgrade.biz. And uh, I also respond to texts. So you can text me at 646 554 three four six one and i want to also uh say that if you email me and uh with the subject line job seeker summit i will send you this exercise that we were uh discussing and i will send you the tips of uh coming down in nonverbal language that we were discussing as well so Fabulous. if you're interested please email me and uh this is again paula at brainupgrade.biz Fabulous. So before we go, I just want to ask you, do you have any final words of wisdom, any pearls of advice for our viewers today? Yes, uh, more along the lines of prepare. Uh, so I think that, you know, my experience with uh, different job seekers is that it's a very, very multifaceted process. It has a lot of different activities uh, and people tend to procrastinate. So uh, I think it's very important to focus, to organize, and to not procrastinate. And I have a course that teaches people how to do that. It's called The Art of Getting Things Done. And uh, again, if you email me, I will let you know how you can access that. But I think it's very important to be organized and systematic and uh, not to allow the emotional stress of trying to find a job distract you from uh, from being systematic and organized. It, it, it's so many steps that need to be taken. So uh, even if you just do this one exercise that we were discussing earlier to calm yourself down so you can move forward, that'll be very helpful. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. And we'll have all your contact information on the show notes as well. But I think those are great offers for everybody. Paula, it has been an absolute pleasure. I have enjoyed getting to know you. I look forward to staying connecting with you. But thank you so much for all that you've shared with our viewers today. Me too. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for this opportunity. It was delightful to talk to you. And I hope that the viewers will get a lot of, uh, you know, will be able to implement what we were talking about. And I look forward to our further contact as well. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.